Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by my buddy, Ben Gretsch, uh, getting getting the gang back together now that uh, drafts are firing up. I think main event drafts start at the beginning of July. So, you know, we are we are here. We are. It's less than 100 days until the start of uh, the NFL season. We have mini camps going on. We got we got overreactions. We have, uh, you know, everyone's working on their projections right now. Mine just got done on the site about two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, Colin Drew has been messaging me like, oh, you know, this is messed up in the projections or I disagree with this. So we're, we're getting in the weeds, man. Are you, are you getting pumped? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy to hear that less than a hundred days thing. Um, there's a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff building uh, I, I just saw a comment you made the other day on Twitter uh, in reference to Scott Fishbowl, which is right around the corner, that you said yeah. that the fourth pick was clearly the GTO pick. I was curious yes. what your take is on that. So the reason why uh, the reason why that is true is that gives you the option to take Patrick Mahomes if you would like. Uh, generally, now sometimes Patrick Mahomes will go 101. But you, you get the option, depending on how the scoring works, because people, you know, have their end. But the scoring is basically the same as it was last year. But at four, you are locked into one of Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Christian McCaffrey, or whatever other quarterback you – I mean, whoever you have a quarterback to, Dak, Kyler, Lamar, whoever. And you, you basically cannot get – uh, a bad pick like there. And, and I think that, I mean, maybe you could argue three is slightly more GTO, but the third round reversal changes that a little bit, but I just, and also, you know, I, I think you can include, you know, Dalvin cook, um, Derek Henry, whoever, in that conversation right, as well. So that's why I was wondering why you thought four was because you just named a lot more than four people. I was like, I was kind of curious who your four were, where you thought there was like a tier break. Well, honestly, if I'm going to be 100, I just remember last year for the Scott Fishbowl 10 that me and Corrine, we looked at it and we clearly decided that number four was GTO. And I don't remember the exact reasons why, but I remember <laughs> I re- here, let me, let me see if I can find SFB 10 ADP real quick, because I will, uh, I imagine it was well, Lamar was up there. I imagine it was Mahomes, Lamar. McCaffrey like there was probably four guys that were in the running from 101 so you you felt good about getting one of them at four yeah I mean so so the thing for me is with this scoring um you you just really want to get Patrick Mahomes and and maybe that's controversial maybe people want Christian McCaffrey or whoever but for me I just want I just want Patrick Mahomes in in the scoring I have the 101 yeah and our, but are did you guys because you and Corain and Overzet all got the 101 but we, did you guys I don't know if they talked about it I didn't talk to them about it um I didn't think about it too much uh, it, because of the third round reversal this year last year I tried to get the 101 without the third round reversal I thought that was actually pretty clearly the best but 
um, this year with the third anniversary, like, you know, I think you can make a case, especially because of all those names you just mentioned, you can get a pretty good pick at like 10 because it's super flex and there's all these quarterbacks around, like a pretty elite pick. Like, I don't even think we said Josh Allen. There's several other picks that are really good in the first round. But I took 101 and I took it with McCaffrey in mind. Like, I think that's the guy that can just destroy his position. I'm, Mahomes can too in the score. So this is, why, this is why I disagree with that. I think that the, the big inefficiency that has existed in super flex drafts for a long time has been take the first round quarterback who is not guaranteed to be starting week one. Uh, last year, it was Justin Herbert. Uh, 2019, it was, uh, I don't even, I don't even remember who it was, but it existed. Baker Mayfield. It was, it was Baker Mayfield. The, you know, I remember one year it was like, oh, take Tyrod and Baker Mayfield and you'll, you'll get it done. Um, I don't think that's going to exist anymore. I think Fields, Lance, uh, Zach Wilson, I think even Mac Jones, I think all of those guys are going to go significantly higher than they have in the past. And just based off, and this is more intuitive than database, so maybe people will refute this. But my experience is that with the negatives that exist in the Scott Fishbowl scoring, you it's you are you are definitely uh, dancing with the devil, trying to like uh, piecemeal your way through your quarterback situation. And there were my my team last year in the Scott Fishbowl was top one hundred all year long, and my team wasn't even any good but I had Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray and they were combining for like 110 points a week because they got so many completions. They, they were was, just completing so many passes. It's funny. Mine was top 10 most of the entire year. Uh, and I had the one-on-one and took McCaffrey and he got hurt. He missed the entire year. He missed but the I entire James, year. I picked up James Robinson and he more or less like <laughs> right. filled that role as this, this uh, elite running back. But at the two, three turn, I took Russ and Kyler. I got both of them at the two, three turn. And it's them that more or less anchored my team. Kyler was sweet for most of the year. Both of those guys kind of faded a little bit in the playoffs. So my team got knocked out in like the semis or something. But um, yeah, no, that's an interesting take. I actually think I hadn't really thought about that, but you're right. And that was something I, I valued big time last year was that the outside of the top like 16 to 20 QBs, you get into like some real danger territory. I think you want to, you want to have good QBs. Well, so the, then- the completions, the completions just change so much of it because like, let's say Gardner Minshew has a 310 yard and two touchdown game. He might've thrown 20 incompletions in that game. Cause the Jaguars were trailing the entire time. And like, you like, and you're super dancing with the devil starting Ryan Fitzpatrick or Andy Dalton or someone like that, because like those dudes can just, I mean, you can, that can put you in a, a 20 point hole and you're just dusted off for that yeah, week. A bunch of picks can, cause they're like negative four and negative six. If you throw a pick six, like it's pretty bad to throw picks. Um, so then I would say the GTO is probably back, back into the first round where you it could be. Couple, yeah. And then you get an early third. Yeah. I wish I would have thought about this more. I think that's a good call. Yeah. Uh, and so the reason why I don't like the back end is it just doesn't give you, you have no optionality on Mahomes. Mahomes is not going to be there for you at six. Yeah, you just Mahomes love is, Mahomes. You're just always taking shots. I mean, he, he scored, Maddox. Mahomes scored two points more per game than every other player in Scott Fishbowl last year. And Mahomes didn't even have a particularly Mahomesian season last year. Wow. Yeah, like he was he was the best player by far. Maybe maybe it didn't end up that way at the end. Like maybe he normalized more, but there for you know the first eight, nine, ten weeks of the season, he was beyond everyone else by like yeah. a significant degree. Like halfway. 
I because I think Rogers with the completions and everything that that is what ended up happening. You're you're right. That is what I I remember. Um, actually, you know what? Funnily enough, the reason why I remember that is because I had that bet with uh, what's his name? The guy I hate. I don't even remember. Uh, clutch fantasy. I I had that I had that bet with him that my team would do better than him, and he had Aaron Rodgers. So I do I do remember that Rodgers really. No, I won. I won. Oh, wow. But, uh, I mean, Mahomes' completion percentage in a bunch of these games, he had a bunch of 75%, 65%, 80%, 65%. And that, I mean, it just really adds up when you, and, and Kyler too. Kyler, because they, <laughs> the horizontal raid, he's completing like 30 passes a game, even if they're not going for that many yards. So that was, that was my thought with number four being GTO. And if someone else in your league jumps on Travis Kelsey, jumps on Patrick Mahomes, takes Lamar, you know, you, you have the optionality of Dak, you have the optionality of McCaffrey. And I, and I mean, I don't think I would take Dalvin Cook in this format, but you have that optionality too. Yeah, man, I wish I didn't have the first pick now. Honestly, like you've, you've swayed me. I think QBs are really valuable in this. And, and as much like the reason I, I did it for McCaffrey is I'm thinking he, it, I don't know. I, I have the mindset with McCaffrey that he's like more or less the modern Marshall Falk, which I was playing fantasy back then. Marshall Falk, like, if he stayed healthy, couldn't finish outside the top five. You won your league. Yeah. yeah. He, well, maybe not won your league, but like he had too, too much involvement in the offense, too many different ways of, of getting points that he like couldn't be outside the top five running back. He's just too good. It's like, it's like almost hard to lose if, if you get a healthy season out of that player. Um, and at QB, there's still some, some variance. Like Mahomes could have a good year. He did. He had a decent enough year last year. I just pulled up the scoring last year. It was actually Josh Allen very like point yeah because josh allen had that sick run at the end too i mean mahomes the whole chiefs offense really slowed down at the end of the season they had a they had a bunch of uh very mediocre games at the at the back half of the season like his last four week 13 to 16 he didn't score more than 25 points in this yeah he was they were it was allen rogers and then then mahomes was three yeah so and but because i i think i got eliminated in the first round of the playoffs so i you know at that point i tuned out but i and again a lot of this stuff is more intuitive and my takes will change as we get a little bit closer to the draft and we get more database stuff but yeah i mean my my plan is i'm picking at four and i will be taking patrick mahomes there if he's there um and and i mean kelsey too i mean starting starting with travis kelsey in uh tight end premium leagues is like a huge hack although Kelsey is going very early in uh, FFPC ADP right now. Like I think he goes second overall sometimes, which is wild. He might, and and th- those top end tight ends will be definitely be very valuable. Um, that team that I had last year that was really good, I went on to take tight ends in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round. I think I think, and uh, one of the ones that fell was Darren Waller that I grabbed. So I ended up with this like team where I had really good QBs and and Waller were sort of my top players because McCaffrey missed most of the year. So I think you're right that like, those are sort of the focuses, but at tight end, the other thing is like, we know that you're going to get some late round guys. I actually took Logan Thomas in this league too. And was yeah, same. Him. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to get some late round guys that can hit. And that's true at running back as well. So when, when all the positions are pretty flat and I think they do a really good job of it. Like part of the reason I was thinking one-on-one was I felt last year throughout the middle rounds that the tiers were really flat anywhere in the draft. I felt like I could get picks that I liked. And so I was like, okay, well then right. I might as well get my, my pick of the litter in the first round. Even though it's third round reversal, I don't really mind waiting till the three, four turn to get my first back to backs because like, I don't even think that's that big of a difference from the two, three turn, but where it could be a big difference is QB to your point. I mean, QB, 
you might run out of guys that you that you feel good about to, that you were saying uh you're playing with fire once you get past that 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 group that that might run out by the middle of the third round so that is tricky ben roethlisberger is going to be like a fourth round pick in the scott fishbowl this year i think he's going to have some negative point weeks when he decides to big throw time six picks yeah yeah, yeah that's going to happen um, I think, I think the tight end conversation is like the most interesting conversation in fantasy football right now, because, you know, oh, the thing everyone is focused on right now is these, uh, you know, these best ball tournaments, right. Underdog and draft Kings and everything. And there, you know, there is the clear top tier, which is, I mean, Kelsey's kind of in a tier of his own and then Waller Kittle, however you have them, I have Kittle slightly higher than Waller, but I mean, I'm not enough to like quibble about it or anything, you know, then for me, it's Mark Andrews is the, is the fourth guy. And then TJ Hawkinson is the fifth guy. And then, you know, I mean, Noah Fant kind of Dallas Goddard kind of, but I do feel like in most drafts, you, you kind of want to just get one of those three guys, like it, you, regardless of format. Are you just super down on Kyle Pitts? It's so hard to say, right? Like yeah. I, I feel like going into the season, not having a ton of Kyle Pitts exposure might just be absolutely brutal. You're right. I did just skip over him right there, but it's yeah, like, I, and I should say super down on him relative to ADP, obviously not super down on him relative to like, you know, past rookie tight end, what, which I think doesn't really fit for Kyle Pitts, but he he's going really high based on what we should sort of, you know, as a default sort of expect. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, he is the most, unknowable asset in fantasy football right now for redraft i think in dynasty everything like given what he could be all of his adp is appropriate i'm not going to quibble with anyone wherever they take him in a startup and rookie drafts it's totally whatever but a you know late third early fourth round adp for a rookie tight end it's like i don't know could he catch 80 passes and have a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns like is he that type of insane level unicorn player yeah, but I don't, and maybe I'm just being blinded by like historical comps and stuff because rookie tight ends producing, I, I probably the easiest path to him just being this insane fantasy producer is them just being like, look, dude, you're just a wide receiver. We're never asking you to block. We're never asking you to do any of this complex stuff. You, you are just going to play wide receiver for us. Yeah. My thing with him is like, number one, the historical stuff, there's not a ton in the data to suggest that like tight ends have gotten, they've certainly gotten better since like Vernon Davis came out in 05. Like things have gotten better for tight ends because there's more shotgun, there's more spread formations, tight ends split out wide more frequently. Things, things have improved in that sense, but there's not a ton to, to suggest that like just in the last few years, things have gotten markedly better, but we did just see Kelsey and, and Waller have massive seasons last, uh, last year. Um, and over the last few years, we've seen some huge seasons. Kittle had a monster season. Um, some of the all-time you know season tight end records have been broken I kind of have this theory like obviously the NFL changes like it evolves and I think people miss that when they look at historical data but I kind of have this theory that like the way the way the NFL is going is better for tight ends like Kyle Pitts yes and then the second part of that theory is there's no one that's been as good of a prospect as Kyle Pitts pretty much since Vernon Davis there's no one who's been drafted anywhere close to as high with the type of athleticism with the type of production as well. Like Eric Ebron got dropped really high, very athletic, but wasn't a producer like Kyle Pitts. Like he didn't have a dominator rating over 30% in college. Like Pitts just did as an underclassman. Like he had a true wide receiver breakout season in college. Pitts did. Right. Um, Ebron's top dominating was like a lot less. I think it was around like 20, 20%. 
dominator and, and Pitts was over 30%, which is the breakout threshold that I'm, I'm referencing. So this combination he has doesn't really match any other tight end we've seen. So in some respects, like in the modern era, like, cause again, Vernon Davis, kind of the closest guy, he had the production, he had the, the athleticism and everything, but he came to a 49ers team that was playing super slow in 06 that like didn't look right. like modern NFL yes. offenses. There's no that's very, now. that's a very good yeah. point. Yeah. There's no teams now that look like the Niners looked in 06 at all. Um, so Pitts is a little bit different in that regard. Like he's, we haven't seen a player like him. We can talk about past tight ends, but I, I almost feel like that's like the floor expectation. The median expectation should be that he's, uh, you know, not, not a unicorn, but like he is like, we should acknowledge that he is a different prospect. Like it should be better than those comps, right? Like back in the day in the, at Rotoviz, they had the, uh, and they might still have this tool. I can't, um, I can't remember what it is, but like the box was, score scout. No, the, the sim like projecting out similar, like projecting out full season lines based on, on, on comps based on a bunch of similar. Yeah. Comps. They, they did that. The N plus ones, they don't have yeah. that tool anymore. And there's, there, there used to be a multiplier for how close the comps were like it would give you the 20 best comps but it wouldn't just say like those 20 best comps explain this player it would be like well this player is like these guys but he actually is less than them like it would be like a 0.9 or 0.95 instead of a a full one multiplier you know what i mean like it would take off a little a few percentage points off all the stats by saying like these comps are actually a little bit better even though they're the best comps we can come up with or there would be one that would be like, oh, some guys would have like a 1.1 multiplier. They get like a 10% boost over those comps because they actually projected a little bit better. That's sort of how I'm thinking of Pitts is like, you can take these historical tight end numbers, but then you have to sort of give him like a 10% or 20% boost if we're being honest about what his profile is. Like he is better than that group of comps. And it, like, he's he's more can't miss. He has, you know, I don't want to say can't miss because all tight ends can miss, but he, he, he checks more boxes. He checks all the boxes. Um, He's more, you know, has more production, has whatever. Like none of these guys, Ebron, Hawkinson, none of them have the... the yeah, like that's the actually a great point is that Hawkinson and Fant, the most recent first round draft picks in memory, the, one of the reasons why Hawkinson was drafted so early was his run blocking ability. Like that was the thing that, and, and he has been a great run blocker and he's been a fine receiving tight end. He actually had that great game in his very first game um, against the Arizona Cardinals. And like, he, I think he finished tight end four last season or tight end tight end three uh because Kittle missed so much time but it's like you know I don't feel like Hawkinson has this big explosion season coming but both Fant and Hawkinson did not have the type of like raw insane production that Kyle Pitts had at Florida fans fan had one really good year in college production wise Hawkinson that's true um but then fan also didn't have quite as much athleticism or quite as much draft capital. I mean, like the fact that he went fourth overall, I think tells you like they took him over Jamar Chase. Like Right, exactly. Yeah. And there's a void with Atlanta for like for red zone scoring as well. Like my my big thing on Pitts is like it's hard to see that they wouldn't use his athleticism in the red zone right away. Like we know about like freak score for wide receivers especially predicting tight ends at the NFL level. Like the way Chase Claypool was a good um bet for that not necessarily like a guarantee or anything but he has so much athleticism guys like that score touchdowns and i, I kind of feel like pitts has a pretty good uh shot to score some touchdowns this year i i think you're probably right because the other 
pass catching options on Atlanta, your, your Russell gauges and your Olamide Zacchaeus and your, your Brandon Powell's, those are not guys who profile as red zone target getters. And, you know, to a certain extent, like there is a limit to how many targets you can give Calvin Ridley. Like, right. you know, like he's not going to have a 47% target share, it, you know, and, and Russell Gage has shown that he can kind of eat up a lot of those like, like intermediate targets and things like that. But I mean, Russell Gage, not like a difference making NFL player. And, and I guess probably part of it is, a reflection on Matt Ryan and that coaching staff. And like, they were, you know, they were just so brutal last year though. Todd Gurley, no longer on the roster. I know it's very sad for you and Michael Leone to not be able to be gobbling up the, uh, the Todd Gurley shares, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, and, and Mike Davis, by the way, not a guy who's going to be the coaching staff's like, well, shit, we signed Mike Davis. We got to give him red zone carries. Like it felt like the coaching staff was like, I, yeah, I guess we got to give Todd Gurley red zone carries. He's Todd Gurley. And now, yeah, so I don't, I, I think maybe I'm wrong. I think maybe I need to well, balance it, out a little bit more pits. Where you're not wrong is he's the hardest guy to, he's the hardest guy to peg because it feels like he's too high. And I'm just sort of making the, the bull case too. Like, I think you can make a case that being high, that high on him, being that aggressive on, and to your point, like you said in rookie drafts or in startups, like you, you don't think anywhere is too high for him. It is, it's weird in redraft, but it, it just, I would just say it wouldn't surprise me if he just, crushed the all like the all-time historical rookie tight end things and then yeah people have been down on and be like well what can we do like that was the all-time rookie historical thing like this is nothing we can do about that and i would say that like you at least have to be open to it going in that like he's a different prospect it's a different league now and there is the potential for this like you have to be pretty open to it i think and i don't know that that means he has to be the tight end for i kind of agree with you that hawkinson and andrews are a little bit more. Appealing, I mean, Andrews, but... Andrews is the biggest, and I've talked about this on every show I've done, I feel like, but it's like Andrews to me at his, at his ADP. It's like, I just want to get it. It's like hard for me to not take him because he also goes in a part of the draft where wide receiver scoring flattens out. Like once the two Rams wide receivers go and Jamar chase goes, um, like if I'm on the clock round six and it's like T Higgins or Mark Andrews, I'll take T a lot of the times. But once T goes, then I'm like, well, shit, I'm just taking Mark Andrews and I'm, I'm locking up. Cause like, I am, I'm so big on the Ravens offense. I think the additions of Bateman Watkins and Wallace over Sneed, Des Bryant and Chris Moore. Like, I, I think that's like the biggest wide receiver room renovation. That is like, not like people are just not realizing that in Lamar's career, half his targets have gone to backup tight ends, Willie Sneed, Des Bryant, Devin Duvernay type guys, like non, like non-quality NFL players. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Bateman was, I think maybe other than Chase, I, I would call him the highest floor prospect in, in the class. Like I, I felt really good he was going to be a good NFL player um and still has a ceiling obviously and then wallace was this sneaky like really good productive super sneaky I, yeah. I wanted to land in a good spot and adding both those dudes at the same time like my thought after draft day was like one was like crap that's not great for their target potential but then two was like well, the ravens know what they're doing <laughs> like they're, they're drafting they're drafting the so, right so they know what they're doing and this is i i actually haven't heard anyone make this point they have no one to compete with for playing time. So like a lot of the times you'll see fourth round rookie wide receivers. You like uh, Seth Williams actually is a great example of this. Seth Williams goes to the Denver Broncos 
And I mean, this dude is more buried than buried. Yeah. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, Noah Fant, Albert O. Like he is so buried for snaps <laughs> oh, and for targets. Throw throw Albert O in there. You just had to get that. Yeah, you're you're gosh darn right. <laughs> but but Tylen Wallace, it, like if it would it surprise you if Tylen Wallace records a target in Week One for the Ravens? Would not surprise me. No, but. You still have Marquise Brown. You still have the Sammy Watkins addition. Um, and then you have Bateman clearly ahead of him, way more draft capital and, and Andrews. And the fact that they use multiple tight ends, they brought in uh, what's his face from Jackson with Josh Oliver. Like, I kind of think he's a little bit sneaky. Because he's dude. He, how sneaky is uh, in these 30 man dynasty leagues we play in? How sneaky is Josh Oliver as an like ad? It. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and then, who else do they have at tight end? Like they're going to use multiple tight ends still. That's part of their offense. They've done that. Uh, they still have Boyle, right? But isn't Boyle rehabbing an injury or something? Am I, uh, yeah, they still have. They do still have Nick Boyle. Yeah. So, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I I hope my biggest hope for the Ravens is that the offense looks a little bit more like the offense that Louisville ran with Lamar in college than you know, three tight ends, Patrick Ricard playing 300 snaps a year. Like, and, and, and I don't even mean this as a criticism, but I don't, you, don't you feel like if the Ravens are as intelligent as we think they are, and we do think they are pretty intelligent, they will have done some self scouting and they'll be like, this is a really good regular season strategy. But if we want to win a Super Bowl while Lamar is on his rookie contract, we probably need to start throwing the ball more. Cause we're not going to go into Kansas city and win completing 18 passes. Yeah, you hope that they, they've done self-scouting and stuff. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, they've built this offense around Lamar, though, too. Like, Lamar is the identity of the offense and is obviously, like, his his rushing ability is an asset. Like, people people use that as a knock to be like, oh, he's just a running back. It's like, no, that's an asset. It's an addition to, <laughs> to the fact that he's the quarterback. It's a very good thing to have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think they should throw more than they do, but I don't know that they would come to that conclusion I, but I even so i so i think for our purposes when we're talking about bateman when we're talking about mark andrews when we're talking about even sammy watkins who is straight up free lamar in his career has thrown 170 that was back in 2018 and in, in seven games 401 and 376 passes if you get if you get him to let's say 480 that's basically a whole other fantasy viable player. Yeah, that's a huge bump. That's I mean, it's done. well, and also remember, you know, we're talking about an extra game too. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I think um, based on obviously on a six game, sixteen game season, it, it it is crazy to have fewer than four fifty passes. There was only like uh, four teams going into last year that had done that over the like since like the the rule enforcement changes in twenty fourteen. Uh, and one of them was the Ravens in 2019. They did it again last year. I think the Patriots also did it last year. So we're up to like six now that have done it, but they've done it both the last two years Four like they had like 440 in their good 2019 season. They have only 406 last year passes, which is a massive, like <laughs> deviation from, right. from the mean, right? Like it's just, it's so far away that to me, I almost feel like they're true, like, average especially if they don't adjust things but you know your your kind of bull cases that they might they might change their their offensive mentality a little bit but um like their true mean might be 
sub 450, which is like just such a low number. It's like impossible to project and all that, which means like 480 would be like a ceiling, which is still bottom five in the league. There's only like five teams every year that throw fewer than 500 passes. Um, so like you suggesting 480 isn't high by any means, but then it's compared to their numbers. It's like, you know, and you added the extra game as well, but it just feels like almost, not impossible to get to, but like almost hard. Well, to it, is, it is impossible if the Ravens feel the same way about their offense that they did last year. But I would argue that signing Sammy Watkins, drafting Bateman in the first round, drafting Talon Wallace, I would, I mean, not even argue. I, it would just suggest to me that they maybe want to pass a little bit more, but then also realize that asking their franchise quarterback to throw half his passes to Willie Sneed and Des Bryant and Nick Boyle was not a winning strategy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a huge improvement skill, skill level wise. I'm with you on that completely. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, Hollywood Brown is like a dude I am just gobbling up. Like, it, cause uh, you know what it is. It's kind of like we were talking about earlier. Like, Oh, I remember Mahomes being so good for me, but he sucked at the end of the year. Everyone who draft everyone who drafted Marquise Brown in their leagues last year, they were eliminated from the playoffs by the time he started to go nuts. He was amazing in the back half of the year. He scored uh, he scored six touchdowns in his last six games. Like he like he was Hollywood Brown. Like he turned into what he needed to be. He also uh, was good in their playoff games. Like he he's legit. Like it it just and I think maybe was he banged up at the start of last year or am I making that up? I think a little bit, yeah. Um, my, my biggest concern is just like, we were talking about the low pass volume is like how, how that splits, because the one thing they had, um, like you're, you're talking about being bullish on, on Brown, but also Bateman, potentially Wallace Andrews. I, I mean, if I'm going to lose my Bateman card, but I don't take Bateman in drafts all that much. And I, I hope Corrine is not listening to this, but like, (laughs) I, I, cause I think Watkins will out target Bateman, which is. I mean, that's because that's just the veterans generally are going to earn more targets, which is like the reverse. What I was going to say is like they were so concentrated last year, even even with Brown not being good. And and the way this played out with the really low overall volume, 406 passes, Brown only led the team with 100 targets on 100 targets. Andrews had 88. Sneed had 48. Boykin had 33. I mean, even though their top end guys didn't have a ton of targets, there's not a lot of teams where their fourth highest targeted player had 33. That's essentially two per game. That's so you you also you don't have this like ceiling but at least it was concentrated. Right. And like the year before we can look at it, it'll be the exact same, but yeah, 98 for Andrew, 71 for Brown who missed two games, 46 for Snead, 43 for Boyle. And then you're down to 39 for their fifth guy. Like you're, you're not even getting 50 targets from their third target. So the third option. So if you have Brown, Andrews, Bateman playing Watkins playing, and now it's not as concentrated among two guys who are like sort of their top dudes. My concern is like, does anyone get to hundred targets? That's hard to see, even if they add a few passes and then, you know, you don't necessarily need a hundred targets, but it, obviously you have to be efficient and they've been efficient as a passing game. But, but then the concern is like, if all of those guys are involved, are we in a scenario where like their leading target getters getting like 75 targets and every, you know, they have more guys over 50 targets. Like I said, the last two years, their third guy hasn't even hit 50, but th- this year it seems like they're going to have at least three, four guys that hit 50 targets. And so what does that do to the high end guys? You know, it's less concentrated. Okay. I got a, I got a huge curveball for you here. The new England Patriots. What, what is their target distribution look like? When do you think Mac Jones takes over? Cause, cause here's the thing. 
if one of Johnu Smith or Hunter Henry is clearly the move tight end, which I think probably will happen, I think one of them will be the inline tight end who even plays more snaps and blocks more, but sees fewer targets, which is very similar to what always happened, you know, for Ben Watson and Gronkowski and Aaron, like Aaron Hernandez, all these guys. If one of them is clearly the lead receiving tight end and one of them is more of like the grinder, one of them is going to be a huge value at their ADP, but the market is completely throwing their hands up. Uh, yeah. they, they, they go like 140 and 145. Like no one knows. I think, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think one of them at least will be, will outperform ADP. Um, I think it's possible they both do. We, you, you kind of started this by saying like, what do I think the target split will be? I think both those guys will see plenty of targets. They might be the top two target getters in the offense. Um, and then I like Jacoby Myers and sort of Nelson Aguilar is the other one. Like, I think those four guys are the ones that I'm fairly confident will see a, a good number of targets, run a good number of routes and things, but it's still, you know, wide open. Like who knows what will happen with Nikhil Harry. Uh, you know, they also brought him. He's like going to get traded that I, I think that is going to happen. I think Nikhil Harry is going to get traded for a conditional sixth round pick. Him. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're talking about him not making the team. So it's uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have just been taking one of them quite often. Like, so it, like, let's say in a draft, I get Waller, Kittle or Kelsey. And so in, obviously in those best ball drafts, you're only taking one backup tight end instead of two. I think one of Henry or Janu in round 13, round 12 or whatever is like, you had a little bit of spike week potential there. Like maybe randomly they're showing up with two touchdown games. And also a lot of this depends on is Cam Newton healthy? Did Cam struggle last year? Cause he's done or cause he had COVID. Right. I, which I think I, I am not as, I'm not as much on the cam as completely done and dusted train because of how weird last season was, but certainly it's a possibility, but then also when do they go to Mac Jones? Is Mac Jones as good as people, you know, some people said Mac Jones was really good and could have, they could have justified him over Zach Wilson with the second pick. And some people were like, Mac Jones isn't any good. This is a weird thing that we're talking about him going so early in the draft. So yeah. a lot of questions there, but I, I, my intuition is that Janu is the one they signed thinking about getting the ball to him thinking like it and it, this is based on literally nothing other than watching these guys play and i feel like Janu is the more dynamic offensive player He's more dynamic but isn't he the better blocker too like isn't Hunter yeah Henry oh for sure of, the yeah. way better blocker so it's it is tricky um i feel like john I, I agree with you i feel like he's going to be more like their gronk where they can use him in in pass blocking and running routes at the same time i think they're going to use henry as sort of a receiving weapon too like i, I it wasn't a mistake that they, they, they signed both these dudes to pretty good contracts in a down free agent year where a lot of guys had to take, you know, lower deals. No, the, mis the mistakes were the Aguilar and the Bourne contracts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I, I mean, it's funny. Like they they got a lot of heat for that. They, they, they understand the comp, the comp pick system. And, and like, we've talked about this in, in prior years where like, they won't make a lot of free agent signings when they're losing big guys. And they wound up with the highest comp pick this year because of the Brady, um, the, you know, losing Brady to the Bucks. They also wound up with another, like another one of the top, like 15 best comp picks. Like they, the years that they, cause the calculation is always like a one-year calculation, right? Like it's like free agents lost and free agents gained and the size of those contracts. This has been talked about in the past of the Patriots, but like they sort of pick their years every few years and sign a bunch of free agents at the same time. And are like, we're not getting any comp picks that year. And then the other years they let guys go and they always rack up extra comp picks. 
So I don't think it was really like that much of a mistake. I think it was sort of planned by them that like, okay, this is the year we're going to spend, especially when the free agent market is down. Uh, I mean, they, they obviously didn't see like a pandemic coming. I don't think they're like evil geniuses like that, but right. it's not that surprising that when they started making some signings, they made a bunch and everyone was like, oh, the Patriots are just blowing their wall. They're freaking out because the Bucs uh, uh, won the Super Bowl. But I don't know. I, I think that was sort of always a plan with them is like every four years or so they, they, they blow their wad and they sign multiple, um, multiple year contracts. And that's their, they're not going to get any comp picks that year is sort of their, their calculation. And then the next year they'll get some and, and the year after that and stuff, which is, I don't know. Anyway, what, what, the, they're, the thing, they're a team that could add a lot of passes. We were yes. Talking, I mean, if they transition over to Mac Jones early on, they're going to pass so much more. Right. Like the, the three years before that, obviously all with Brady, they ran at least a hundred or a thousand and seventy plays. Last year they ran nine seventy nine. They lost like a hundred plays. I don't think they're going to be as fast paced as Brady, even with Mac, but they also threw at least five hundred and seventy passes in all those three years. They threw four forty last year. They dropped one hundred and thirty passes over their three year low prior to that. That's a ton of passes. They don't have to play like they played with Brady. They just basically have to have Mac Jones in there who would throw more. And suddenly, like, like the, again, I was just talking about how 440 is a massively low pass volume number. I don't know. People are drafting the Patriots like they're going to have no receiving value. But I saw Thorman mention that Mac might take over for the Houston game. I think it's week five, right after they play the Bucks. Like, they're probably not going to turn the reins over to him before they play Brady and the Bucks right. in week four. But yeah, they're five. just going to have the most – they're just going to be running the wishbone to keep Brady off the field in that week four game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Run the ball a ton. But then – if Mac takes over like as early as week five, they're going to, they're going to throw a lot more than a 440 pass attempt pace from last year, the rest of the year. That's a big chunk of the year. There's going to be value in those tight ends and people like that to, to your earlier point. Yeah. Uh, Henry Ruggs, one of the most attractive guys to me right now, because I think he is that uh, he's the interesting combination of, Oh, I like him better in best ball than manage leagues guy because he when he scores you imagine it's going to be long touchdowns but also this idea that he could be one of those one of the biggest gainers in volume year over year because he had only 43 targets last year but uh nelson nelson Aguilar is gone off the team like henry ruggs is ostensibly the number one wide receiver good good point nelson Aguilar uh made it so that henry i mean you got an elite talent like nelson Aguilar that makes it hard for a first round yeah it's like when nelson Aguilar is balling out it's like how can you get how can we even design targets for rugs i it's funny because i traded rugs to you before our rookie drafted one of our dynasty leagues for like a mid-second i don't even know who uh I wound up with like Diami Brown or something. But it was, it was because there was that huge tear break in round two, but it was before the draft. So we didn't know. We didn't know. And I, I don't know that I love that I traded Ruggs for Brown straight up. At the same time, I, Ruggs is a guy I'm out on, dude. Like he, he wasn't a very productive player in college. And I think the reason those things show up is, is we know that earning targets is a skill and you have to be able to consistently earn volume. Ruggs is really fast. He's really good. He provides more value to an NFL team than, than a, you know, like I'm throwing up air quotes for anyone just listening, like provides more tied value to the NFL team than the fantasy team. He stretches defenses and all that, but he literally didn't get more than five targets in a game in, a, in his rookie year. And he played most of the season. He only got five targets twice. Like this is a dude that almost, if you go look at his game long every week, it was three to five targets, three, four, three. And he had a couple long touchdowns, but I just like, based on the fact that he wasn't a big producer in college and I know they had other good receivers, yada, yada, but like he, he still, even in that context was one of their least productive receivers. 
And then he comes in the NFL and he has a really hard time earning volume. I get the impression that he's not very good at earning volume. <laughs> like teams respect his speed downfield. And he's also not good right. in the, in, in, at drawing targets in the short area. So it becomes really challenging. I think they'll, they'll manufacture more, more touches for him. I think he's going to have some games with more than five targets like he didn't last year, but I just don't see where the, where the huge step forward is for a guy who hasn't shown us an ability to earn volume consistently, which is like the most important wide receiver trade to me. You have to be able to consistently earn volume. Yeah. I mean, I, this will be the do or die season for him. Like, like I won't be, I won't be holding the flame alight for Henry Ruggs. If he earns 73 targets this year, like I, like I, I'm still leaving a light on for McCole Hardman based off of like, you know, he plays for the chiefs. He's looked okay in spots. Like he, like he clearly has some athleticism, but you know, is not a, like, I don't think McCole Hardman is a very good wide receiver. And I think it'll kind of be, like this will be be his chance to have an anomalous season because the Chiefs don't have a better option, but they might decide Byron Pringle is a better option or Cornell Powell is a better option. Like those are real possibilities. Um, but the like, difference is is Ruggs ran a ton of routes. Hardman didn't. Hardman right? didn't. Yeah. yeah, it was harder for Hardman to earn targets because he wasn't on the field. Like there, and I feel more confident in the efficiency there. Even though Ruggs is probably the better receiver. Yeah, I agree with you. Hardman's like I don't think a very good receiver overall but like he's going to be efficient because he plays with Patrick Mahomes right like that's going to be helpful for for his skill set um so yeah I I agree with that like there's more optimism for a guy who didn't run a lot of routes that he could potentially yeah because he hasn't truly disappointed us yet like Hardman is just Hardman has disappointed us in his inability to get on the field but I mean actually I guess if you look at what he's done per touch he's not been that disappointing like he's been he's I mean, you know, you know, the one play, like when I think about like, shit, how much McCarvin do I really want to have this season? Because obviously last season, I loved him that they, the Chiefs are on like their own five yard line. And I don't remember who it was against, but McCall Hardman is just running free down the sideline. He has a 95 yard touchdown. And it, no one it talks like, about this. it bounced it. I, I, and I, you know, I don't know if it was, I, it's hard for me to say if like, you know, Hardman wasn't on the same page, didn't know to look back. Mahomes threw too early, but it bounces off of his ass. Like it literally, it like literally the ball hits him in the ass and he's got a 90 yard touchdown in front oh, of him. So I'm thinking of one where he kind of got his hands on it. And I thought there was, a, I don't know. I don't remember the, the bounce off his ass play, but there was another one where he was out of the slot and completely uncovered. It would have been like a 90 yard TD. And I, I honestly think that it was a, it was more on Mahomes. Like he doesn't miss a lot of throws, the, the play I'm thinking of. I remember it being more on Mahomes too, but then you, th- then you think a little bit further and you're like, yeah, well, clearly Mahomes was just like, tell up, like he knows where the ball needs to be. He's expecting Hardman to know where the ball needs to be. And Hardman doesn't get his head flight. around. Yeah, yeah. Right. Adjustment flight, make a play. You're wide open. Yeah. But there were, and maybe we're talking about the same play. There was at least one play that Hardman could have had like a 90 yard touchdown last year that it's not that it would have changed his entire season, but like, that's why you draft me Hardman is for those types of plays. I don't know. It, it, it's the same thing. You I mean, he is, Henry he Rose. is cheaper in drafts this year with the removal of Sammy Watkins than he was last year. So yeah. just kind of feels like one of those spots, but we also have a, more information. We have more. I mean, Byron Pringle straight up played over yeah. him in the, in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm concerned about that. Like my hope, part of my hope going into last year was that they would, that Reed would be like, okay, look, he was 21 in his rookie year, Hardman. He'd he'd only been playing wide receiver for three years. He was recruited as a defensive back to Georgia. But we want to find a way to get two speedsters on the field at the same time. We're not going to keep treating him like basically he's Tyree Kill's backup 
And they did that a little bit at times, but not as much. They didn't like change their offense. They continued to use Pringle in this like Sammy Watkins role or Watkins as like this separate receiver role in their offense. That doesn't mean that can't happen this year, but like the fact that they didn't do it last year or even really show that they were like trying to do that. It didn't seem like they were like trying to force Miko Hardman on the field last year. So now we have more information in that regard that I'm a, I'm a little concerned that they don't like, they don't see a lot in him for whatever reason, which I mean, I like even think back to like the one thing that sticks out to me is a Super Bowl. Like, didn't he fumble a punt? And then he was the guy who jumped off sides on the, the field goal that they, like there was no reason to be jumping off sides. And they ended up giving up a touchdown right before half. It was like third and five and it, it or fourth and five and it gave them the first down and it extended their drive. And it's like, just give them the field goal. You got to stop finally. The, the Bucks offense had been rolling and he jumps off sides in a scenario. It was like yes. a 30 yard field goal. You're not going to block the field goal. Like just yeah. let them have their three points. It was just a stupid boneheaded play from a football perspective. And I was just kind of, you know, after the game, looking back and be like, man, Biko Hardman had a bad game, not even playing receiver, just from like a football perspective, did not play well. Uh, even in like a role player role, like he, he had some really bad moments in that game. Like maybe this guy just doesn't have high football IQ. Maybe there's just elements to um, why he doesn't play that we don't see in practice and things where he's just making a lot of mistakes and those types of things. I mean, that sounds more likely than not. What about, uh, what about CEH? I, I find myself uh, taking him every once in a while at the end of the second round, but when he's still there, when I'm picking in the third round, I'm just like clicking it every single time like I I it's just yep. I know he was bad last year I think he finished RB 25 overall missing a couple games like RB 20 points per game or whatever and Daryl Williams played more than we would have liked Le'Veon Bell certainly played more than than we would have liked but you know Le'Veon Bell there there is as of right now June 18th there's no Le'Veon Bell LaShawn right. McCoy guy on the roster doesn't doesn't mean Todd Gurley's not coming in for a free agent visit or whatever because Andy Reid loves to do that type of shit but I I feel like the path to CH smashing is so clear and he doesn't even have to be a good NFL running back to do it kind of kind of like Mar like 33 year old Mark Ingram having that insane season in 2019 for the Ravens he didn't even have to be any good just because the offense was so insane um and CH ran super bad on goal line possessions. Like, and I mean, maybe that would like to be like, we would be thinking, Oh, you know, he can't, he he's inefficient at the goal line. Cause he's bad, but just, we see that that doesn't really work out it in general. Yeah. Like it's it just, it's totally random. It's when, like, when does you your see guy... that in season, like he got stuffed so many times at the goal line. All you're thinking is crap. This is going to impact his opportunity at the goal line. Like they're going to decide that he's bad at it, but really it's just kind of a small sample thing. I mean, obviously he's small and like there were some, some high profile runs in, in uh, Island games that were like, he just got stoned and it's like, okay, he didn't even like, run through anything you know he didn't, yes. he didn't fight for anything there because he is a small back but it, it really doesn't show up as like being you know this type of um skill is going to be super predictive or anything like that so no i'm i'm 100 with you on this take i think this is a better application of of what we were just saying about hardman where like he's cheaper than uh where he was last year and the, the depth charts worse like to your point he has less competition this year he's in the exact same situation he was 21 last year again People do not think about how young some of these players are and, and like rookie age. Like it's not, we, we, we see way more rookies producing right away in, in today's NFL, but like, it's not the end of the world that he had an 1100 yard five touchdown season, which is exactly what he had. 
I'll just just pull up his line. That's not terrible as a 21-year-old rookie. He just turned 22 in April this year. They took him in the first round. They still think all the things they said about him. They still, all those quotes last year about him being just like Brian Westbrook, they still believe that. They're, they're still committed to him. They didn't add any running back competition, to your point. They might bring in a vet, to your other point. Like, I mean, they, they brought in they brought in a guy. The, this is the, the line of the offseason, is they brought in Jarek McKinnon, who was missing time and being rested last year with dead legs. Literally dead legs was hasn't his played play. in like four seasons. Like when, when, when's the last time Jarek McKinnon played in that? In well, like- he was really good for the first three weeks last year. He scored like four touchdowns in the first three weeks and then his legs completely gave out. But CEH in the third round, again, to your point, we're getting the exact same thing. Almost the exact same thing. We do have some new information, whatever, but it's not that bad, <laughs> frankly. And it's basically the exact same cases we were making last year, which was the Chiefs offense is so good that you want the guy that they're comparing to Brian Westbrook and is likely the lead back. Like, yeah, I take him in a lot of drafts, dude. I think he's a great pick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, and, and the crazy thing is, is like Tyreek and Kelsey are as expensive as they'll ever get. Mahomes is, you know, he's the place he's always gone, but like, yeah, you are just getting these big discounts on the other skill. Do you have a, do you have a thought on who wins out the third job between Pringle D Rob or Powell? Like, do you think either any of those guys are interesting? They're interesting because I think because Hardman might be bad. That's right. why they're and, interesting. And having, yeah, exactly. And having exposure to the Chiefs is interesting. I mean, it's probably it's probably Robinson, but um, yeah, I, it's <laughs> I just want Hardman to play, man. <laughs> I just want Hardman to play. Yeah, I do too. Can't, can't we just get more fun in our lives? No, the other yeah. thing about Edward Zelaire was like he was actually a good runner last year. Like that was something that surprised me. I thought, you know, you passed. Yeah, he, he graded out pretty well as a, as a rusher. And then the other thing is all the beat writers at minicamp are saying, you know, they're dealing with the absence of skilled wide receivers by just pelting CH with targets early on. Which is, yeah, like the, I always talk about high value touches, the ability to get receptions and score touchdowns. Again, his, his, his red zone ability wasn't great last year, but a big part of what generates red zone touches and, and go and, and running back touchdowns is just how good the offense is. And there's no offense that projects to score more points at this stage than, than Kansas city. I mean, Jack Miller did a, a great analysis on the, um, the Vegas lines for the whole season and the implied weekly lines and, and Kansas city's average implied weekly line over the entire season is the highest in the NFL. And we, we would expect it to be They're an offense that's going to score points. Whether Gladwood Solaire is a really efficient runner at the goal line or not, like he he's going to have more opportunities to get in the end zone than uh, even though, you know, even, even considering he didn't last year do it very effectively, he's going to have more opportunities than a good goal line back in a bad offense. Like you have to recognize that there are guys like he's going to get more red zone carries than Josh Jacobs, for example. Right. And it's like, Oh, Josh Jacobs is going to get all their carries inside the five, but the Raiders aren't going to score. They're not going to get inside the five half as much as the chiefs and we have to acknowledge that you know yeah yeah uh okay bears where are you at on this helium for darnell mooney who is getting compared to tyreek hill recently that's nuts but um i don't i mean i don't know i i'm really excited about justin fields i don't think he's gonna start yeah i'm pretty excited but i don't think andy dalton's gonna we know that andy dalton within the first month is gonna have some really bad moments like I, it will, it will, I think Andy Dalton at times in his career has been a little bit uh, underrated because everyone just thinks he's so terrible. So terrible. Yeah. But at the same time, like 
he isn't that good. And he does have like sort of meltdown. Like he's like one of those quarterbacks that strings together bad decisions and is just sort of uh, like the Kirk Cousins will do that. Or we mentioned Roethlisberger earlier. We'll have random games where he just throws a ton of interceptions. As soon as that happens, there's going to be massive calls to see Justin Fields. So they traded up the draft in the first round. Fields has this like Mahomes, Deshaun Watson vibe to him. Deshaun Watson is the comp that I would, I would make most similarly from the sense that Here's a guy who was really productive in college, played at the highest level in the college football playoff and played very, very well. And people discounted that. They, like, they didn't make a big deal with the fact that he played really well against Clemson and played really well against the elite college football teams. And that same thing happened to Watson. Everyone's worried about his velocity and everything. Then he falls to like pick 10, but he doesn't fall to like pick 25. And a team trades up as soon as he starts falling. As soon as the elite, elite top 10 prospects get off the board, a team trades up and gives up a yeah. lot to get up there and stop a team ball. that people think is stupid though, which is also playing into part of it. Like people think Maggie is an idiot. Fair, but still, which, like, but then- here's the thing. I'm actually, I, I had this take the other day on TV because we were talking about win totals and the bears win total is seven and a half. And I'm like, look, Maggie coached under Andy Reed, say whatever you want about, Oh, he goes away from the run too fast. Like this guy's been coaching with one hand behind his back. Trubisky is awful. Foles is awful. He's been having to try and design, you know, etches like uh, color by numbers offenses because he's been so hamstrung by quarterback play. It's like he's been driving a Honda Civic and he's about to get a Rolls Royce. Like he's right. about to have this amazing quarterback and they can do more. The thing, that, exactly. And that I agree with that. The thing about Nagy is like, yeah, he, he has uh, limitations and there's things that he's bad at, but that doesn't mean he can't design good offense. Like I, exactly to your point. I completely agree with that. I think there's coaches that are like hugely flawed in certain ways, but still can be really creative in, in other ways. And I, I think he could, he could probably design a decent offense. Like I, I'm not completely sold that he's terrible at that. Um, and Fields is a Rolls Royce. This guy ran a 4-4. He's mobile as heck. And he had the highest accuracy grades in in this class like accuracy is the trait that i look at the most to see what's going to translate and then the other thing i look at i think is underrated is just like was the guy productive in college guys like like trubisky is a great example dude started one year at one UNC year and wasn't even that great and i mean yeah there's guys like josh allen that have bucked this and we've been wrong about but like when a dude plays at the highest level against the, t- the best defenses and the best teams and is productive and is very good, makes the right decisions, delivers the ball on time. There's something to be said for game production at the quarterback position, in my opinion. Like it, I, I well, yeah, really because what else can it. you, what, what else can you really go off of? Like, if you're not, uh, if you're not like one of these insane scout guys, like what else are you basing right. your decisions There's off? There's not of? a lot and, of great models at quarterback. So why not look at the fact that when he was forced at, in big spots to make the decisions and, and deliver the ball accurately, he did that effectively, right? Like, and he was good in, in all these spots, played through injury, you know, got banged up in that, uh, in the national championship. Yeah. I, I mean, beat like, uh, like, you know, beat, beat Clemson, uh, was not, you know, I, and I feel like some people maybe are reacting to him being so bad against Alabama, but it's like, what do you want to do? Like, I, I, I just don't, I don't, I'm not really going to shirk anyone for being bad against Alabama, I guess. Yeah. I mean, was he that bad? I guess I'm remembering him as being 17 for 33, 194 yards ran a little bit, but I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It was a worse game. Okay. I'm remembering the Clemson game more, but still like, but I I mean, yeah, because he was, we thought he was dead in that Clemson game. We thought he punctured his lungs or something. And then he came back and was unreal. And then in the, the loss the year before against Clemson in the national championship, uh, he was, he was really good in that game, uh, but they still lost. Right. 
So it's, it's a couple years where he was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I just think, especially the combination of mobility and accuracy, it's just like, like to your point, Nagy he, he ran a four four. Yeah, yeah. He's, I don't know. I think he's going to be good. I honestly think like he's going to be. People are like down on. I mean, that's not like a hot take, but people are sort no, of. No, people on are people relative. are down on Fields because Lance and Wilson went ahead of him, and so right. they they view that as signal that the NFL is. But it's like who knows what the Jets are doing? Like literally, just throw that out of the window. Like everyone, everyone thought that was a weird pick when it when it was made that it was but so Wilson's obvious. undervalued too. Like this is a fun rookie class to. to it have is, yeah, to, for sure. Yeah. That's every year is different. This is a year to have exposure to rookie QBs for sure. Yeah. All right. I think that, uh, I think that was some good football chatter. Uh, tell people about ship chasing and all the stuff you have going on. Yeah. I'm doing ship chasing pods every Wednesday with uh, Pat and Pete. I'm doing the stealing signals newsletter. Still going to ramp that up. Going to be doing a projections pod with uh, Mike Leone at, at ETR starting uh, next week. So That'll be fun. And some companion posts set at the newsletter at Stealing Signals. That's where all my written stuff is right now. BenGresh.substack.com. The only newsletter I pay for, Stealing Signals. Thank you. Sign up, people. (laughs) Uh, StealingSignals.substack. Follow Gretch on Twitter. BenGretch.substack. Oh, well, there we go. Ben Gretsch shot subsec. There we go. Don't want to mess that one up. All right, everyone. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.